Hello again from the Tiberius Caesar Hotel. Maybe it's Caesar Tiberius. Eh. A hotel in Tiberius named Caesar and Tiberius in Israel. This is Father Kelly with a lot more to talk about than yesterday. This is now, well, day one in our Holy Land pilgrimage. So I think there's something, some things a bit more substantial to mention. Uh, overall, a blessed day, of course, but as always happens on pilgrimages, there's way more than you can really appreciate in the moment. You know, you spend 15, 20 minutes in one place, and then suddenly the tour guide's calling, okay, time to go to the next place. You could spend three hours there and not exhaust all of what's there. So if you ever go on a pilgrimage, just be ready for that kind of thing, that you have to take kind of momentary impressions and some pictures and work from there, because there's really no way you can appreciate all of it. It's You'd have to spend a month and a half to even scratch the surface, and we get less time than that. But anyways... A very blessed day uh, began very early. Um, I don't know if anybody noticed last time that when I posted the last episode yesterday, um, it was pretty moderately late in the evening, and we're eight hours difference here. So uh, I was up late, but I enjoyed it. But this morning, my alarm went off at 6 a.m. local time, and I didn't want to get up because I'd only gotten four hours of sleep. My own doing, fine enough. I like staying up late. But I had heard that there would be a beautiful sunrise over the lake here. And so I wasn't going to miss that. So I left the curtains open the night before just so I would be reminded that the sunrise is out there. And it was beautiful. So at about 6.10, I finally got out of bed and looked out my window. And there was truly a staggering view. The sun was still behind the mountains across the lake, but was definitely lighting up the sky. And you could see... This lovely purple-orange reflection on the lake, silhouetting boats, and then the mountains and the shoreline nearest to me. Very still, very placid. This wonderful morning scene looking over the Lake of Galilee. And I admit that I went back to bed for a little bit afterwards, but I definitely gave thanks to God for that morning sunrise view. After a little while, got up, took a shower, headed down to breakfast, and out of the stairwell window, oddly enough, I caught a very amazing view, kind of looking towards the north. And in the north, there is uh, what's called Mount Hermon, which is referenced in scripture. Um, and it's actually a snow-covered mountain. It goes, we looked it up last night, it goes up to about 7,000 feet. So there in the distance, on the north end of the lake, I'm, I'm sure it's well beyond the north end of the lake, but you can see this snow, not even snow cap, but snow-covered mountain, you know, rocky mountain, still in the the kind of pinkish orange of the sunrise, uh, very beautiful thing. And it's, you know, as, as we look around, it's amazing to think these are the things that Christ and his apostles would have seen when they were on this lake, when they were on the Sea of Galilee. So I went down to breakfast, a very generous breakfast, very generous breakfast, um, and not just lots of food, but lots of variety of food, including lots of things that I had no idea what they were, but tried them anyways. Um, and then, you know, recognizable stuff, various kinds of eggs and um, eggs, lots of fruit, lots of vegetables, hummus, of course, um, you know, normally things like granola and cereal too, uh, pretty good coffee. Um, Israel knows how to put on a good meal. Uh, no bacon or sausage, though, of course. This is Israel. So then we finished breakfast, met in the lobby, and went down to our boat that was going to take us across the Sea of Galilee. So we weren't going to sail 
we're going to go in like diagonally across. We were following uh, the path that Jesus and apostles took in scripture. So we went from where we were here in Tiberias over to, I believe it was Caesarea that we went to. So we get in this boat called the King David. And uh, it's this, you know, 60 foot boat, big wooden deck on it. Obviously a tourist kind of boat, um, but still interesting enough in its own right. So we set out, well, actually to back up slightly, this is just funny. Uh, in a list of things I didn't expect to hear this, I didn't expect to encounter, certainly was one of them. A tour boat of the same kind was pulling out of the dock you know, as we were walking down down to the dock. This one was pulling out ahead of us, obviously a group a few minutes ahead of us schedule-wise. And as they're backing up, they begin to raise, in addition to the, to the uh, Israel flag, the blue and white Star of David, they also are raising the American flag on the front of the boat. And then the Star Spangled Banner begins blasting from the boat speakers. And we see everyone on board uh, you know, with their hand over their heart singing the national anthem of the U.S. on a lake in another country. Not what I expected this morning, but, I, you know, obviously it was a boat of American tourists and they were really catering to their audience. So we go out on the Sea of Galilee. It's, again, a gorgeous morning. The water is very calm, very still. Uh, apparently last year, this for the same part of the trip, there was kind of a stormy, rainy day, kind of cloudy, rainy day, but then a storm came up on the sea, which was, of course, scary for them at first. But then someone pointed out, well, you know, storm in the Sea of Galilee, that kind of that happens in Scripture. That's you know, a part of why Jesus was walking on the water. And you know, when Peter's asked to step out of the boat, that was a storm in the Sea of Galilee. So it ended up being fitting for them. Um, no storm today. Beautiful, sunny skies. Mid-60s, light breeze, just fantastic out there. Uh, but then uh, more unexpected things happened, uh, audio-wise especially. One of our speakers talked for a little bit, explained some things about the lake, gave us kind of some some um, background of what was going on. And there was a bit of a quiet time, so the boat operators put on some music. And you can tell they're used to, um, you might say, not... A Catholic crowd used to obviously a Protestant crowd because they played first. Uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but one of the really kind of old style praise and worship songs and a really chintzy, cheesy kind of arrangement. And it was, it was really awful and, but just comical. And then a version of amazing grace sung by Elvis came on. So the first morning you know, first sort of full day of the pilgrimage in the Holy Land, on the Sea of Galilee, on a boat called King David. And I've heard the U.S. National Anthem and Elva singing Amazing Grace. No, neither of those would have been anywhere near any kind of expectation I would have had. But it was that kind of thing where you just, you laugh at it and go, well, I'm listening to Elvis on the Sea of Galilee. Good morning. Here we are. So, we ended up crossing. We crossed the rest of the way across uh, across the sea to uh, Caesarea, or somewhere around there, at least. Um, you know, beautiful day. Uh, it's it, maybe not entirely easy to remember or to to imagine uh, because we were on you know, a big kind of commercial sized boat um, with Elvis playing and you know people milling about and someone speaking, you know, talking over a loudspeaker to us. So it wasn't exactly like we were rowing across like the disciples of Jesus would have done, but it was still um, enough to imagine 
what it would have been like for people of Jesus's time to be on the Sea of Galilee. Apparently, it's rather undeveloped around here, actually, in many parts of, of Israel, not that we've seen a lot of it yet, but we've been told that many parts of it are you know, very developed, very, um, uh, the landscape doesn't look like it used to look. Um, and, and while there are some hotels and obviously some like, you know, some lighting, if you're looking at night, um, the air, the shores around the Sea of Galilee, we're told, look very much um, untouched. And that is, that is pretty true. It's mostly just rock and trees on the hillsides and the mountainsides all around. There, there is, in daytime especially, very little to disturb from the usual appearance of obviously what it would look at the time. So if you stood by the railing and looked kind of out and, and the music was off, which it didn't come back on after Elvis, um, you really could get a view, get, a, get an impression of what it would have been like crossing the sea. Once we did dock uh, in the Caesarea area, uh, we went to a little museum there. Um, it's a museum kind of based around a boat that they had found um, when, the, when the lake was down 20 years ago or so. A boat from about from Jesus's time, about two thousand years ago, um, the kind of boat that the apostles probably would have had as a fishing boat, the kind of boat that Jesus may have fallen asleep in the back of. Um, you know, they've obviously had to dry it out and kind of reconstruct it, um, but it definitely gave it a tangible sense of uh, what boats were like then. I mean, by the way, I'll post pictures of all the stuff that I'm talking about. In fact, right now I'm flipping through my phone pictures to remember what to talk about. Again, a pilgrimage is so many things. Uh, it would it would take me all night to write to write a list and write descriptions of all this out by hand. So I'm flipping through my phone pictures to remember it all. Uh, after that, we drove up the mountain, up the specific mountain, the Mount of Beatitudes. So we went to the I guess you'd call it a shrine. There's a, there's a church up there and, and a big uh, garden area, the, the traditional place where. Jesus preached the Beatitudes on top of the mountain where he had the crowds sit down and he preached the Beatitudes to them. And we had mass up there. So uh, my first mass to celebrate over here, uh, Father Irwin let me, be, let me be the main celebrant. He still preached, though, graciously, was on top of the Mount of Beatitudes. It's a beautiful little outdoor chapel. So we have uh, some big trees over us, a big canopy, gardens all around. Um, and we're celebrating mass on top of the Mount of Beatitudes, where Jesus preached the Beatitudes. And in these Holy Land places, there's special permission to not use the Mass for the day, but to use Masses and readings particular to that place. So this particular morning, we didn't use the readings for, what would it be, uh, Friday of the first week of Ordinary Time, but rather we used the readings in the Gospel that um, apply to the, so the reading where Jesus gives the Beatitudes. So um, it's interesting that, and some other prayers modify too. So at the beginning, the opening prayer for Mass says, O Father, through your Son, here you taught the Beatitudes to the disciples and to the crowds. So in the prayer to open Mass, we reference the place that we are standing. And likewise in the Gospel, when Father Irwin read the Gospel, he said Jesus called the crowd to sit down and he preached to them here in this place. So we modify, as you would, normally, you would normally never modify scripture, in this time you're allowed to modify scripture to reference the place that you, that you physically are. So we celebrated Mass on top of the mountain, the mountain of the Beatitudes. Again, beautiful day, beautiful surroundings. You can smell flowers. It just is um, obviously a very holy place and a very special experience. 
Um, there's nice little sisters that ran the thing up there, so we got to talk to the nuns in the sacristy. Uh, and from up there, of course, there's a beautiful view down to the Sea of Galilee. So you, we're on the north end, so you can see, I, I think, pretty much the whole length of the Sea of Galilee. And it's just, um, they kept telling us it's a very clear day. They've almost never seen it this tranquil. So um, the, it reflecting the sky, the, the kind of lovely cloudy blue, the greenery all around, staggering view of the sea, and just very able to imagine what it would have been like. You know, suppose the crowds had finished hearing Jesus preach the Beatitudes and turned around, they would have seen this similar scene looking out over the lake. After that, we got back in the bus. As if anyone's been on Pokemon, you know, you go in and out of the bus quite a lot. Um, we went down to another church just down the hill, where a church that commemorates the feeding of the 5,000, where it um, sort of, again, traditionally, uh, Jesus would have broken the bread, the the two fish and the five loaves to feed the 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So 18,000 people, perhaps Um, in that church was a fascinating mosaic. But right in front of the altar, there's a mosaic that has two fish and a basket with four loaves in it. But Jesus broke five loaves to feed the crowds. Ah, yes. But this image is right below the altar. So sort of the connection there is that, the fifth loaf is the bread on the altar. So in scripture, there's five loaves and two fish. On the mosaic, there's four loaves and two fish. And the fifth loaf is the Eucharist on the altar that is broken and given for all, the food that is um, super abundant in its grace. It's supernatural food. Uh, after that, we left that place and went to a place for lunch, a little restaurant kind of at a, at a retreat center. And... We had a super interesting lunch. I'd never had a whole fish before, literally the whole fish, head, tail, fins, everything. They descaled it, but uh, the whole fish for lunch, not a filet, the whole fish, eyes, everything right there on the plate with fries and a lemon too. Um, I don't know that I would get it again on purpose. It was great for once to have a fish with the head on just to try it out, but I don't think I would go for it again. It tasted fine, but it was definitely a pain to eat. And we got back in the bus, as you do, and went to, to what is it? It's called, the church is called the Primacy of Peter, I believe. And it's the place where, after the resurrection, when the disciples have gone back out fishing again, because they don't know what else to do, because they kind of feel lost now that Jesus is gone. They think he's gone. He's not really gone. They're out fishing. And Jesus is on the shore, and they realize it's him. John calls out, it is the Lord. Peter jumps to the sea, swims to the shore. And they have that famous dialogue of, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. That dialogue between Jesus and Peter, where basically Jesus gives Peter a chance to reaffirm his love after having denied Christ three times. He gets to say positively, I do love you three times to, in a sense, um, get back right with the Lord. So this church, though, is built over the rock where, again, tradition holds that they had that charcoal meal of fish. So it's actually fascinating that, or not, you know, charcoal meal, the fish cooked over charcoal that he should then shared with those, with the fishermen, his, his friends, his apostles. It's fascinating because it's not that the church is built over a rock and you look through, down through glass through the floor. No, it's literally the rock is 
like sticks up through the floor of the church. It's right there in front of the altar. It sticks up probably four feet out of the floor into the church. So you can, you know, go in and pray right in front of that rock with the altar there behind it. Um, and of course, then you go down by the sea. And so you can you know, imagine what it was like for Jesus to be on the shore, you know, speaking out to the apostles in the boat, not that far off of shore. Um, various, you know, you can imagine it happening right here on this beach. And then we go to, uh, next we went to Cana, which is, the, again, the traditional site believed where the wedding at Cana happened. It's actually, you know, as many things in this part of the world, lots of archaeology is happening there. So it was built, the current church is on the ruins of, let's see, on the ruins of a um, Crusades-era church which is on the ruins of a Byzantine-level church, which is on the ruins of a first-century synagogue. Uh, apparently back in the day, I didn't know this, weddings and the receptions would have been held in the synagogue because that would be kind of the central meeting hall for the whole town. So the town of Cana, which I suppose they know where it is, uh, is, you know, this is a synagogue of that town. It's had, it tends to happen, several layers and layers of archaeology over it. So a very special thing there, aside from just being in Cana, is that all the married couples on the trip, which I think there were 11 sets of married couples, uh, renewed their marriage vows right there in the place of the wedding at Cana. Um, very special to see that, but I'm sure even more special for them. The last place we went for the day is a place that I didn't expect to be as incredible as it was. Um, honestly, I, I fell asleep in the bus between the places, so I missed a lot of the talk of the tour guide when we were getting there. Um, but, you know, I figured, oh, I'll read times when I get there. It was explained. But when I first got the bus, I didn't quite know what was happening, except for that it was the town of Magdala, where Mary Magdalene is from. So uh, this is actually kind of an interesting uh, process, is that they, somebody was, I forget the name of the group, but they were going to, they wanted to build a spiritual, like a retreat center, spirituality center, a Catholic group. And as they began digging, they realized that, in this area, the land they had actually was the site of a first century, um, first century building. A, um, I just said the word. What is that? Synagogue. That's what I was thinking. Of. A first century synagogue is what is built in this. Is what they basically uncovered, and so they began kind of putting things together, and they realized this is probably the synagogue where Christ comes in and reads the prophet Isaiah, saying, "You know, this was fulfilled in your hearing." So. What they found is the temple, the synagogue there, very much actually still intact. In fact, you can see the original mosaic floor from you know, over 2,000 years ago. This would have existed before Christ, obviously. So um, very incredible to see that. But then beyond that, they've built their center. I think it's called Duke and Altum, cast out into the deep. And it's a spirituality center. And the main kind of atrium, I guess you'd call it, um, a big um, circle area uh, with with a big dome, and then columns are outside there, around the edges. It's dedicated to to uh, women in the faith. So uh, around this area, I'm thinking of Mary Magdalene. That's the spot there, as in Magdala. So the thinking of the importance of Mary Magdalene to Christ as a friend, but also a supporter of his ministry. Um, it's focused on women who are related to Christ and, and, the, and the Gospels. So there is, you know, the columns are on the outside, 
are for uh, Martha and Susanna and Joanna and Mary Magdalene, of course, and other women that, that occur in scripture. And then uh, down in one of the chapels, this is a very beautiful image. It's a, it's a very detailed painting, a very large painting of the woman with the hemorrhage who reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus' cloak, you know, believing, if I only touch the hem of his cloak, I will be healed. And it's a fascinating painting because all you see, it, you know, it's six, eight feet high and 12 feet across, 15 feet across, but it's at ground level. And all you see are the feet and ankles and bottom of robes of Jesus, some apostles, probably some Roman soldiers. And you see this hand reaching out and you can see sort of the moment where she touches his cloak and is healed. So it's a very powerful image. So that was especially beautiful. Some, some members of our group, I really spent some good time praying there and obviously I've had a very um, profound connection to that. Um, the thing that, that struck me the most about this, uh, this whole, um, I guess you'd call it spirituality center. Um, when you go in the rotunda there, the, the opening area with these columns around of the women from scripture and this dome, at first I looked up and I, I couldn't tell what was happening above my head. It was, it was kind of some familiar shapes, uh, some familiar colors, but, but I couldn't place it. And I, as I kept looking, I was like, I recognize those hands and those stars, but what is this? It was, it was not a, it's kind of a zoomed in image of something else. And as I kind of backed up and looked at it, I realized it's Our Lady of Guadalupe, who I would not have expected. I didn't expect to come to Israel, to the Holy Land, to the Sea of Galilee, and see Nuestra Señora. I just, I just didn't expect to see La Virgencita over here. But there she was. And, it, it, of course, it made sense that, um, you know, surrounded by this, these, this building to the, to the women of faith, that, of course, here is the Blessed Mother, and this mother who is, uh, this woman who is so obviously important to the Lord as, as, as his mother, but also who has spoken so tenderly, been, been so much a part of Christ's mission in, you know, what we would call converting the new world, that here she is even in a place where I didn't expect to see that symbol of, an, of a different culture, yet the Blessed Mother, Arle Guadalupe, is, is universal to everybody. She speaks to everybody. And so that was that was a great blessing to see her in this faraway, unexpected place. This this familiar image and familiar, well, not quite face because her face wasn't there, but her praying hands, her mantle, the rays of the sun of the Blessed Mother of Our Lady Guadalupe, present even over here in the Holy Land. Um, after that, that was a very full day, but a very blessed day. Came back to the hotel, had some time to read, had some time to kind of lay low a little bit. Um, though I didn't quite sit in a quiet place, uh, sort of to my own surprise, I found myself down in the lobby and was really just enjoying all that was happening down there. So I don't know if it's if it's a wedding or if it's, I don't know what it is, but the hotel is full of Jewish families, which were in Israel. Why wouldn't it be? That's fine. Um, but there's some there's some big event happening because the, the big dining room area downstairs was full of people, obviously having a party, like a wedding reception or something like that. Occasionally singing would break out, uh, lots of you know cheers and uh, sort of general good cheer happening. But then out in the lobby, too, was just kids playing everywhere. 
just absolutely running around little groups talking here and there, you know, like, like little kids do, like some of them are in some in a group here and they wander off and some few of them make a game over here and they start running over here and then rejoin something over here and that kind of dissolves something else happens. And, you know, parents would come out of the big room every once in a while. And I kept expecting them to like yell at the kids, be quiet, stop running around. No, they'd yell at some kid to like come over here and do something real quick, but they'd go back to playing and, no one stopped, and they were playing. They were literally playing soccer inside, and no one minded at all. And it was just so funny to me that, or I don't know, interesting that somehow this worked. It was chaos, but not quite. It was chaos, but a good kind, not inappropriate, not actually disturbing. No one was bothered by it. I don't know. It was just really interesting to me that. Um, kind of the difference in cultural expectation. This, this things w- would have been absolutely out of, out of line in an American hotel lobby, but here the hotel staff didn't mind. The parents didn't mind just was the way it was. And it was, um, it was delightful actually. Um, you know, you'd have ladies walking around with, you know, holding a baby and yelling at somebody else and doing something else and going back into the room and dad would come out later and do something else. And, you know, go talk to his buddies over in the corner for a bit. And it was just, it was chaos, but a beautiful kind of guess. It was family. It was life. It was energy. It was joy. Um, so that was a blessed way to spend. I, you, know, you wouldn't think noisy room would be the way to spend the evening after a long day of pilgrimage, but but somehow it was. Somehow it was a, a fitting, um, you know, delightful thing to to not be a part of, but kind of sit in a chair and try to read a book. But really, I was enjoying just all that was happening around me. Then we had dinner. And then um, enjoyed some drinks out on the patio, uh, sitting near the sea. And uh, so it was a very full and very blessed day. And that was day one of eight or nine more days. So uh, pilgrimages get that way. Where you, you really can't believe, you know, thinking back, someone, uh, we're talking about over dinner about just what had happened that day. And someone mentioned, hey, we're on the mountain today. It's like, we're on a mountain? Where were we? Oh, oh Yeah. We had mass on top of the Mount of Beatitudes. That. Oh, yeah. We were on a boat on the Sea of Galilee this morning. Oh, yeah. We did all these other things that I almost can't remember now. Wow. All that happened only just a few hours ago. We, you know, we were we were at the place of the wedding at Cana just a little bit before that. What? I mean, that would be enough for one trip just the one day. And we have eight more days of this. And we're not even in Jerusalem yet. So, uh Day one was incredible, and uh, I, I can't even wait for what all will come before. And so, hope this has been interesting. I hope it's hope I was gave descriptions enough that it wasn't just me rambling about things. Um, but it really was. We're blessed with it with a glorious, beautiful, sunny day to to enjoy this stuff. Um, praise God for that. Praise God for all of these things. The opportunity to to go on this trip. Thank you for those who made it possible. And, um, wow. So please, please keep praying for us. Know of my prayers for all of you, especially those who ask for specific prayer intentions. I am, I am praying those each day and, um, hopefully keep up with this and, uh, hope to see you all soon. God bless.